John chapter 13. You guys. I am not referring to you all. I know those I have chosen. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would quicken us, quicken our hearts, quicken our spirits, help us to hear what you want to say, bring healing to our lives, bring wholeness to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Actually, the idiom is used to, has lifted up his heel against me. And uh, it's, it's kind of equivalent to someone biting the hand that, uh, that feeds them. And we'll go there in just a minute. But I wanted, uh, obviously this is going to be about the new commandment, but I want to lay the context 
in which Jesus gives this for us. Because the Bible says that Jesus experienced all the same things that we face. All the, all the stuff that we have to face, Jesus faced as well. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And when we read that passage, one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, we tend to think of that, that temptation in context of immorality or immorality or sometimes immorality is what we tend to think of in, in, the, in that. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not saying that immorality isn't bad. Ab absolutely it is, and there's temptation there. But what I'm saying is we tend to think that if we got that base covered, then none of the other stuff matters. And that's not true because that's really just a tiny little part of what we have to face in life. When, uh, when Satan tempted Jesus, he used his only, only three bullets that he's got, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And for the boastful pride of life, he, uh, he tempted him with fame, took him up to the, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off, because the Scripture says that the angels will catch you and not let you even stub your toe, uh, not even let you stumble. So they'll certainly catch you, and then everyone will know that you are the Son of God. How many times do you think Jesus was tempted during his life to say, Do you know who I am? Just who do you think you're dealing with here? I mean, it's like a celebrity being pulled over for a traffic stop, right? You, know? you don't know who I am, bud. But Jesus didn't do that. And the reason why Jesus didn't do that was because he didn't have to do that. He didn't need to do that. Because when someone does do that, when someone goes, do you know who I am? What they're really saying is, I don't know who I am. Can you tell me? Because if you know who you are, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about who you are or what you are. Yeah. But if you don't, then you need someone else to inform you. So he tempted him by fame. That's one of the things that we are faced with. Oh, I'm not faced with. I'm not tempted by fame. Yeah, but you are tempted to, for people to know who you are. And then when he tempted him with the lust of the eyes, you go, oh, now we're getting into immorality. Well, of a sort, because he tempted him with fortune. He showed him all of the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all of this can be yours. Look at it. Isn't, isn't, isn't this wonderful? You can have this if you'll just do it my way, which is what worshiping him is. We tend to say when, uh, when things, you know, as we collect stuff or we get stuff or we make money, we tend to have, a, we tend to have this, this mindset that goes, I worked for it. I deserve it. Because I've worked hard. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of you have worked hard. But probably nobody here has worked as hard as a migrant farm worker. Do they not deserve anything? 
I mean, why do I deserve anything more than somebody who sweats 12 hours a day doing a job? Why do I deserve anything more than the, than the, the, the infant son of an of, of a unwed AIDS mom in a Nairobi slum? You know, why do I just, I don't. A man can only receive that which is given to him from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. And everything that we have belongs to him. And Jesus knew this. You've got nothing to give to me, devil. Because everything that I see... I, can't, I couldn't keep any of it even, if it, even if it was yours and you could give it to me. You can only keep what God gives to you. And then when he tempted him with the lust of the flesh, ah, oh, now we're getting into immorality, right? Well, if you call food immorality, Jesus was, was hungry. And he said, you know, if you turn these stones into bread. This wasn't about food, though. It wasn't about being hungry. It, it wasn't about doing the devil's suggestion. It was what he was being tempted to do was he was being tempted to take matters into his own hands. That's the lust of the flesh. I can do this. Let, 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 I, I got this. We, we talked about this verse last week. I put it up last week. I'm going to put it up again. Talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, why did he not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Because he had the very nature of God. And God doesn't use his power to his own advantage. He uses it for others. Boy, that's a hard idea to get your mind, you know, to kind of grab. But it's true. It's absolutely true. Well, surely taking matters into my own hands isn't a sin, is it? Well, it's kind of like, you know, the original sin. Yeah, I want to be like God, so I think I'll eat this apple. Because this snake told me that if I did, I could be like God. Aren't we clever? So, Jesus was faced with all the same kind of things that we get faced with. And one of the things that he was faced with, in particular on this night, was ingratitude. Someone who was ungrateful. Has anyone ever been ungrateful to you for what you've done for them? What you've given to them? Gee. Last week we talked about, you know, has anyone ever betrayed you? Has anyone ever stabbed you in the back? And then we talked about washing people's feet. Uh, let's, let's back it down a notch. It doesn't even have to go that far. Has anyone ever been uh, ungrateful? Are, are you saying someone has been or are you uh, claiming to be? Un- yeah. Judas betrayed Jesus, but Judas wasn't just some Yahoo off the street. He was chosen. Jesus had brought him into the inner circle. Jesus had 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 dinner with him, had had lunch with him, had breakfast with him, had a bunch of dinners with him and lunches and breakfast. Jesus had, had, had shared the, the secrets of his heart with him. He, he, had, he had taken him to all the secret places. Judas knew the places where Jesus went off to go and pray, including a place called Gethsemane. Jesus, Jesus had trusted him with the money. Put, put, 
you know, made him the treasurer of the whole group. He put a lot of trust in him. And it, it's a sharp sting when your generosity is, is met with, with, with indifference or worse. And, and ingratitude is a marked characteristic of us all. That's why the Bible continually has to tell us, hey, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Oh, and you need to remember to give thanks. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, people. And uh, we, it tells us that again and again and again, Old Testament, New Testament, because it knows what we need to hear, and we're, we're un, ungrateful so much, and that's why we find it such a disgusting characteristic in other people. It's because the things that we have problems with are the things that really bug us about folks. And the Scripture goes on to say this, Concerning Judas, that Satan entered into him, he went out, and it was night. I, I love uh, a good novel. I, I love good novels. Uh, novels are stories that can convey the truth far better than textbooks. I, text, I'm not a textbook guy. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've read textbooks. I, you know, <sighs> it's like listening to a sermon on Sunday morning. It's just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and uh, the only problem with good novels, because they, they certainly can convey truth very well and very strong. The only problem with good novels is they just kind of take over your life. You know, you just have to kind of put everything on hold while you find out what happens next and you get to the next page. And, and also, if you happen to be uh, reading a good novel at the time that uh, takes place in Scotland like I do, then you're, you're tempted to torture everybody with your terrible Scottish accent that you, you know, every time you want to say something, you say, oh, wee little fella there. Uh, laddie. Uh, Jesus told stories. He used stories. And of course he did, because he, he's, he's the greatest preacher that ever was. I mean, you know, sermons, are, they, they can be kind of, until you hear someone say, now, but there was this time that something, and then you go, yeah. And Jesus used them, and he, and he told about a time, speaking of ingratitude, when, uh, when this man owned a vineyard, and he rented it out to some, some people, and when it came time to get his share of the crops, he sent his servants to go collect the share, and they wouldn't give it to him. And so he sent some more servants, and they treated them badly, and they, and, they, and they ran them off, and they beat them. And then he finally sent his son, and they killed him rather than give the owner what, uh, what was due him. And it's because they weren't grateful for what he had given to them, and they weren't willing to... to, to to give back to him. And don't think that Jesus was just talking about the chief priest and the Pharisees. See, these stories aren't written down so that we'll know how bad people were. They aren't written down so that we'll know how bad somebody else is, but I thank God that I'm not like that person over there, <laughs> even like this Pharisee over here. Jesus told stories and and I love stories. I love a good novel. Stories can bring in elements. Sometimes it make a point. And some start out with it was a dark and stormy night. Well, I don't know if it was stormy or not, but it was night. And why does it tell us this? Because we already knew this. The chapter starts out, the evening meal was being served. Well, 
Hello, when is evening? Yeah, at night. So why does he why does he put this in here? And I think he puts it in here, puts this touch on it. Because the darkness that invaded Judas, the darkness that pervaded the atmosphere in that situation comes to us as well. The darkness that invaded Judas was one that said, it's dark, now you can do it. We think darkness hides us, but it doesn't. We think there are secret places where we can do things because no one's looking. Isaiah 29, 15 says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? Psalmist says, If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Job, there is no deep shadow, no utter darkness where evildoers can hide. So what's this got to do with the commandment to love one another? I don't know. I just know it's here. And I know God told me to say something to you about it today. So there may be somebody to whom the Holy Spirit is speaking and going, it ain't a secret. It's not as covered up as you think it is. And it may be me. Those who reject Christ are in darkness, some through ignorance, but all through darkness. I mean, seriously, the 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the reason why people don't accept Christ is because they just, it's dark. They just, they don't see it. I mean, who would reject this offer? Seriously. You know, really. Believe in my son and have eternal life or don't believe in my son and have eternal damnation. Gee, which one do I want? That is such a hard thing to... And of course, the, the part of the problem is and, and part of the way that the darkness covers it up is because we add a bunch of stuff on top of it and put layer on top of layer and barrier in front of barrier and kind of go, oh yeah, and you have to go over that and you have to do that. Oh, by the way, you got to start doing that too. You know, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel just says, believe and you'll have eternal life. Who, who doesn't want that? Someone in darkness. Someone who just can't see it at all. But when we do see it, and when, we, and when we do move into it, Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, a light that's full of wonder. Oh, yeah. Judas was in darkness. So was the whole world. It was, it was a dark moment. It was a dark time we were getting ready to crucify the lord of glory jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and, and be tortured so what was on jesus's mind 
in the face of darkness and betrayal and ingratitude. Two things. The first one was glory. Of course. <laughs> as soon as Judas went out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, then God will glorify the Son in himself and he will glorify him at once. I mean, how many times can you put glory and glorified in a sentence? Seriously. Now, this, this is the finest hour? Yes, absolutely. Abraham's finest hour was when he was, was, when he was on top of Mount Moriah and getting ready to sacrifice his son. And God said, whoa, wait a minute. Now I know. Now I know that you will not withhold anything from me. I mean, Abraham had some pretty good moments earlier. I mean, you know, he, he rescued Lot. He met Melchizedek. He had some stinky moments too. But his finest moment without question was also his hardest. Jehoshaphat's finest moment was when the, the armies of, of, of Moab and Ammon came against him, and he had no, no strength to be able to fight against them. So he put all the worshipers in front. Well, you know, that's really so cool. Uh, you know, we're going to go out and fight a war. How many people want to be on the worship team? <laughs> put all the worshipers in front of him to go out and sing, Praise the Lord, His mercy endures forever and ever. That was his finest moment. It's the reason why we still talk about him. Hezekiah's finest moment, he was a great king, but his finest moment was when Jerusalem was surrounded by the armies of Shennacherib, and there was absolutely no way that they were going to escape this time, you know, unless maybe like an angel came and killed 185,000 of the enemy in one night. That might do it. And in fact, it did do it. It was his finest moment. It was his toughest moment. So here's the thing. Whenever something hard comes our way, we, we have a tendency, now let me, let me move, let me, let, before I get there, let me, let me say this. You're familiar probably with this verse, of, of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That sounds like glory, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, joy and all those. Well, it applies to us as well. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, whenever something comes along that causes suffering in our lives, we have a tendency to react to it as if, as if it's kind of, as if it's, why me, God? Why, oh, why again? Why, why can't you ever do it to Fred? Why can't you, you know, why can't you do it to... To, to Mike, somebody else, you know, why is it always me? But what we're really facing is an opportunity for glory. What we're really facing is an opportunity for something beautiful and something powerful and something eternal and something glorious to be born in us when a difficult situation comes along. And so Jesus getting ready to be betrayed, getting ready to be tortured, getting ready to go to the cross, shamed before the entire world, says, now the Son of Man is glorified. That wasn't the only thing. He was thinking of one other thing as well, and that was love. It was in the context of the cross and the context of Judas's betrayal and the context of darkness that Jesus gave the new command. A new command I give to you. 
Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. A command is not optional. A command is not an option. He doesn't say, hey guys, I've got another option here you might want to consider and think about. It's a command. We refer to the Ten Commandments when it suits us. Uh, or at least to the ones that seem suited to whatever somebody else is doing wrong at the present time. But this one trumps them all. Romans, Romans 8, I mean Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, says, Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It starts out, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, we often take that verse and we, and we apply it to money and I, don't, I, don't, I have no problem applying the first phrase to money, okay? It's, it's probably it's best to not be in debt. But that's not what the passage is about. It's about loving people. It says you can't ever pay that debt off. It's continuing. It, it, it's ongoing that we're, supposed to, that we're supposed to love one another. And, it, and it's also the only biblical identifier of a disciple. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It, it doesn't say everyone will know you're my disciples by what you wear on Sunday. Everyone will know you're my disciples by the things you disapprove of. Everyone will know you're my disciples by the, by the places you don't go or, or, or the places that you do go. It's the only identifier of a disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ, is someone who loves people the way that Jesus loves them. That's why it's a new commandment. The, the, the one that it replaced was love your neighbor as yourself. Well, hello. Some of you don't think very highly of yourselves. But when you love people the way Jesus loved, there's no room for self-loathing. There's, there's, no, there's no room for guilt. There's no room for, well, I'm going to love Brad over here because I've been so bad. But if I love Brad a lot, maybe, God'll, maybe that'll make up for all the bad stuff that I've done. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's no motivation. That's not, that's not, the, right, that's not the right reason to do things. There's no room for, for, for guilt. There's no room for excuses, be they been denial or betrayal or ingratitude. None of those things. Is there, is there any room for when you do it the way that Jesus did it, when you're doing it in Jesus? In fact, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. I'm not talking about, oh, if you just love everybody, then everything will be okay. That kind of love can't cover sin. This kind of love covers sin. Kind of love that perseveres and endures and, 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 will, and, will, and will break through the, the darkness that is so pervasive that we walk around in. It covers over sins. And you say, well, now, wait, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about here? I'm talking about the fact that if you sin against me and I love you, I trump that. If you sin against me and I don't love that, then I'm defeated. And by the way, if I sin against you and you don't love me, you're defeated. 
If I sin against you and you love me anyway, it trumps it. I mean, it's powerful. It, it is so strong. It, it is so strong that it was powerful enough to hold the Son of God to the cross. The nails didn't do it. They're just nails. They rust. Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, where I'm going, you can't follow. Now. But you will follow later. And what's he talking about? Well, uh, you know, oftentimes God's word has layer upon layer upon layer uh, of meaning in things. And and that's cool. Uh, Obviously, one of the things that he's talking about is going to the cross. Uh, And and he's also obviously talking about heaven because he goes on later to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And uh, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and take you and then you can come. So he's talking about those two things. But there are paths that Jesus tread. There are paths that Jesus walked that can only be walked under the power of the Holy Spirit. And these guys weren't there yet. They were going to be. And as believers, we are if we'll choose to walk those paths because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the primary path is love one another. Beware of trying to limit who fits into the another category. I can tell you very simply who does. If it's not you, it's another. That's what it is. If you know nothing else, know this. In an age of striving for for self esteem and self-actualization, that was not a path that Jesus walked. In an age of, of knowing my rights and standing up for my rights, that was not a path that Jesus walked. In an age of taking offense, when someone is ungrateful or when someone disagrees or when someone just out and out does something wrong against you that was not a path that Jesus walked in an age of legalistic righteousness where I go you know I'm 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 right with God because I don't do this and I don't do that and you know and and obviously they're not right with God but but I am because of what I do or don't do that was not a path that Jesus walked Love one another as I have loved you. That was the path that Jesus walked. And boy, sometimes it was a bitter cup. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that at all because I know it's not. Listen, I have, I, I have beaten inanimate objects to death at times. Like desktops and, and, and pieces of furniture and things because I was trying to love people. <laughs> you know, beat furniture, not folks. 
And, you know, and there's been so many times that I've walked that, that down Paul Paul Springs Road with, 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 with Peanut, and I know he's thinking this isn't a good day to look back at him. <laughs> you know, I'm going, God, mm, I, you know that I forgave this yesterday, don't you? Why is it back? You know that I'm doing everything I can to try and love this person. Why is it so hard? And you just, and you just you keep going. You play. So it's not easy. No, it's not easy. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can get there. You absolutely can, and that's, that's the path. That's the right one to walk. That, that's the way to go. There's so many distractions along the way to go. Well, you know, they're actually wrong and you're actually right. No, 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 no. The path is to love one another as I have loved you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He loved me not because of anything good that I had done. In fact, I was his enemy when he went to the cross for me. Maybe there's some strength there. Where he walked, we can now walk with the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of us here today, maybe all of us, I don't know. Some of us here today, there's a big old boulder on that path. And God wants to move it. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to pray for people come forward? I've said all I can say, but I'll probably keep talking anyway because <laughs> I, I am a preacher after all. <sighs> if you're here and you need prayer for anything, but in particular, you know, nobody's, there's not going to be like a, a big sign on your back going down, oh, they're mad at somebody. That's why they went down. But in particular, if you got a, 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 an issue, a somebody that, that you're dealing with in this particular area, I mean, God is always here, but he's in particular here for this area today because this is a sermon that he, that he had delivered. So I just encourage you, uh, anything you may need prayer for, you come forward and... Uh, if you don't know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him. I mean, who doesn't want this deal? Whoever believes shall have everlasting life. If you don't need to come worship with us for a few moments, we'll create an atmosphere of light and not darkness. You are holy.
I want to encourage you to uh, come on Wednesday nights. <laughs> um, when we started the series with the young guys, I was pretty excited about it. I thought, hey, it'd be pretty good. No, it's been great. And, uh, and then when we shifted into testimony mode, it's just kind of kicked it up another notch. Uh, so I'm just telling you, if you're available to come and you're not, and you haven't availed yourself of that opportunity, you're missing something. You're missing something really good. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to show us how to live, who sent his Son into the world to show us how to love, may the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you. May you see clearly that path to follow. And may you have the strength to walk in it to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.